I'm excited. It's going to be a great night. I believe we got a fun topic to look at, and I think we got some stuff that we can learn as we continue our study here in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, the last week, we kind of covered a question, and the question was posed to us by Herod, uh, the, the tetrarch there of the area, and, and he asked the question of, who is this man? And so for the last two weeks, really, Pastor Tommy and myself, we kind of covered this whole question of who is Jesus, and we had three witnesses that we looked at that all had an answer to that question, and surprisingly, all of those answers lined up. They were all the same, and the answer was this, that that man is Jesus, and he is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one that we waited for. Amen? So that's what we looked at the last couple of weeks. Now, what I didn't do last week, and I had this on your handout, is that I had a bunch of stuff on the bottom of your handout on tools to researching Jesus and answering the question of who Jesus is. Because we closed our sermon asking you, who do you say Jesus is? And for some of you guys, you have an answer to that question, and you have a really solid one, and you know in your heart, beyond the shadow of the doubt, that Jesus is the Messiah. For some of you, however, this is something that you are still processing and that you not, have not really found an answer to. And so what I wanted to give to you guys, and there's way more than that, I can give you a ton more research than that, but I want you guys to have the intellectual integrity to really research Christ. If you cannot answer who he is, and you're saying, you know what, I don't know, I'm not sure that I care, I do care, but I'm too lazy to research, I wanna encourage you, let's research. If you are in this spot and you don't know who he is, research Christ. And what I would love for you to do is take some of these, go to your leaders and talk to them and say, hey, listen, I need to really know who Jesus is. And I want to do this with someone I would like for my leader or some of my small group people in the small group to do a study together. Let's figure this out. Let's go on a journey together and let's see who Jesus really is. So if that's you, I want you guys to talk with your leaders later on tonight and just boldly say, hey, I'm not going to be lazy. I'm going to be uh, intellectually integrity there. I'm going to use that. I'm going to make sure that I research Christ. Is that okay with you guys? That's what we talked about last week. Now tonight, we're going to pick it right back up where we left. And we left it with the three disciples, James, Peter, and John. And they had just gotten back from this amazing prayer meeting on this mountain. And they had prayed with Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. And they came down the mountain. And I don't know about you, but if I was them... I would be on cloud nine. I mean, I have just been in the most amazing prayer meeting ever. You had Moses and Elijah appear out of nowhere, and we realized that, you know, they were already dead, and they came back for this prayer meeting right there, which would be pretty cool. It was in the mountain. Jesus was as bright as lightning, and it was just amazing. My life was transformed. I would be on cloud nine, and I would be on cloud nine for a really, really, really long time. And if that was me, you would assume that the next thing you read in the story would be like, and they went on and everybody got saved, and they raised the dead, and, and it was awesome, it was spectacular, it was just amazing. But that's not quite how the story goes. And as we will find out in a second, it actually goes in the complete opposite direction of what I just described to you guys. Anybody wanna take a shot and guess where we're going with the story and what happens right after what we just saw at the Mount of Transfiguration? Anybody know what, where the story goes? Somebody dies, no, that's good, that, that'll be a good one too, if it goes opposite. No, not quite as dramatic, but close actually. Yes? Yeah, there you go. We got a Bible scholar here. Jesus drives a demon out of the boy. So I want to talk about that because really what we're going to see here for the last part of this chapter in chapter 9 is we will see the disciples fail miserably four times. And so what I want to talk about is failure and how to overcome failure. Because the truth is all of you guys are going to fail, right? Actually, I'm pretty sure all of you guys have failed already. 
See, I know this because I have a son and a daughter, and when, you know, when they're young, and when you were young, you, we all kind of crawled first, and then we started walking, but we didn't just go from crawling to walking, we started walking and we tripped up a lot, right? And it was kind of funny to watch. If you're a parent, it's kind of fun when your kid, you know, tries and they fall over, and it, we all did. So we all know that we have failed, at least in that area, and many of us, we have failed thousands and thousands and thousands upon times, but how do we overcome failure? Because here's the truth. How you deal with failure, failure will either make or break you. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, how to overcome failure and how to really deal with it in a good way because the disciples had some major failures that they were going, that they were about to go through here in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 9, verse 37. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. Now again, this is Jesus. He's coming down with James, Peter, and John, and the crowd is meeting them. And a man in the crowd called out, Teacher! I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. Now, if this was me, and someone would have come up with me, I would have probably listened and heard the phrase, and I believe Jesus said too, of, this is my only child, and that would kind of get my attention. Because obviously this is his only child, and there's something going on, because you can kind of hear the pain in his voice, because he's crying out in a crowd and saying, teacher, it's about my only son. And I love what Jesus does. He responds instantly, and, and he's always compassionate in the way that he responds. And as I was looking at that, I thought to myself, man, how many times do I walk around in a crowd and I don't really care or I have a, a, an agenda and I don't really look what's going on with the people? I don't see the pain in their, in, their, in, their, in their eyes and I don't really look. But Jesus, obviously, I think he had an agenda. He was going to do something. I mean, when you're coming down the mountain, he was going to do something. I don't know whether he's going to get food or whatever. But he listened to this man and he saw the pain in his eyes and he responded. And I, I just thought, man, I want to be like that. How about you guys? I want to respond when I see people in pain. Actually, I want to really pray that I have the eyes of Jesus that I will always see when someone is in pain. Because when someone is in pain and we see it and we minister to them, something amazing can happen. And we will read this here, what Jesus did. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. This is the dad talking about his son. Can you imagine this? I mean, this is pretty drastic. This is like this young man, we don't know how old he was, let's say he was your guys' age, maybe 15, 16, or younger, 12, and he is constantly being thrown around. He screams and he foams at the mouth. And his dad saying, hey, Jesus, help me. Now, a couple of thoughts on this. Number one is uh, this young man was obviously in a state of chaos. I mean, he might have been okay at one point, but then the next moment he could just, you know, scream and, and just go in convulsions, and it was just crazy. But what you will see in a moment is that when Jesus shows up on the scene, that state of chaos is transformed into a state of peace. And I love that because any time that Jesus is involved, and when he comes in, peace comes in the situation. But when the devil is involved, there's always chaos. I don't know about you, but sometimes in, in my life, I, my life is so hectic sometimes, and I have so many things going on, and it's not peaceful at all. Have you ever had that? School is crazy and hectic. And what I think sometimes we forget is that we need to have Jesus in our lives, and when we have him and we have like chaos, then that probably means that we haven't really listened to the Holy Spirit, because if Jesus is really in control of our lives and of our schedules, it won't be crazy and it won't be hectic. Now, we'll still be busy, but you will have peace as you're going through it. And again, we will see this right here because about when Jesus comes, everything changes. Now, what's going on here is he probably had epilepsy, and uh, they didn't really know how to describe this. They didn't have a term for it. And it's interesting because 
if you read this, they actually describe that there was a demon involved in this. And again, the, it is epilepsy, so it's an interesting part for us to consider when we're dealing with that, that there might be demonic forces behind it. But here's what he says. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Wow, this is tough. So here are the disciples, 12 of them, and I believe every one of them prayed for that guy, and nobody could drive out this demon. And then Jesus responds like this, and this is again their first failure right here. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? <laughs> that's rough, right? I mean, that's pretty rough. And then he says, bring your son here. And even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. Once again, you see that Jesus comes in this situation. It's crazy, it's chaotic. Satan is in control, and Jesus comes in. He takes control, and instantly, there's peace. The boy is healed, and he gives him back to his father. As I was reading this, I was thinking about us as leaders and all you guys that are leaders in this place. I, I wonder whether this is supposed to be a picture of us for this generation. See, this generation is messed up, and they need someone to come in and bring Jesus into their lives. And here Jesus comes to this boy that is messed up, and he heals him, and he gives him back to the Father. I wonder whether we as leaders could do the same to this generation, that we will heal them with Jesus and bring Jesus in their life, and then we give them back to their moms and dad. And you know what's going to happen if we do that? Imagine someone that has been cutting or someone that has been doing drugs or doing all kinds of stuff and has been involved with the police and jail and juvenile, all that kind of stuff, and Jesus comes in their life and changes and transforms them. And then they go back to their parents, and all of a sudden the parents see that, wow, something is different. You know what's going to happen? They're going to be amazed, and I believe God can use that to change their lives. And if, in the story it says this, as they were seeing what Jesus was doing, and they were amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. This is awesome because what he's about to tell them, they don't get it all. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of man, but they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him. And again, what Jesus is talking about here is his imminent death that's coming up on the cross. So what happened here? Basically, disciples totally failed to cast out a demon. So failure number one is they failed because there was a lack of prayer in their life. And the interesting part about this is that they were actually able to cast out demons a couple of chapters earlier. So something happened here that they missed. And what I think happened was this, that they had slacked off in their prayer life. And they just thought everything was going to be fine and it was not going to be a big deal. Remember camp? You know, we always refer to camp, but camp is a great example because we go to camp, everything is great, we all pray, and then we come back from camp and like slowly but surely we kind of go down in our passion for Christ and our prayer life. And then you know what happens? Something happens that makes us not as in love with Jesus and then we start doing stupid stuff. If I don't pray... I do stupid stuff. And if my wife was in here, she would say that's true because I just, I'm grumpy. I'm, I'm just not a good person when I'm not in the, in the prayers and in the presence of Jesus. Failure is often accompanied by laziness and unwillingness to be disciplined. And I think that's really happening in prayer a lot of time. Now, the story could end right here and we could read on and say, you know what? And the disciples were such a failure, they never were heard of again. But that's not exactly what happens, is it? You read on, you heal that, you know, they still afterwards healed the sick and they, they, you know, the lame could walk and all that kind of stuff. So what happened and how did they overcome their failure? Because they didn't just say, hey, forget this, I failed once, I will never heal someone again. No, they just did something. And the answer to the question of how to overcome failure 
I think it's best illustrated by me playing a game with you guys. So I want to play a game with you in the middle of a message, and I need you guys all to kind of go with me on this. There is 14 numbers on your handout and 14 boxes. And we're going to play a game where I give you three statements. Two of them are false. One of them is true. And I need you guys to guess which one could be the true one. And at the end, we'll see how many of those statements you actually got right. Now, I will warn you, those questions are extremely random and, uh, well, that's just all I'm going to tell you. You guys ready for the game? And, and literally, this game will answer the question of how to overcome failure and what to do when you fail. So let's go ahead and do these 14 questions, and then we'll find our answer to that question. Here's our first three statements. Elephant's urine glows under black light. A geep is the resulting offspring of a sheep and a goat. Chickens can fly for up to 30 seconds at a time. Again, they're very random. You pick one. You can just put the letter, and then afterwards you can check it or put an X depending on whether it's true or not. All right, everybody got something? One of those three is true. You can do this in your head. You don't even have to write it down. Just take the number. Okay, I'm going to say it is A, and then you know, you'll find out whether that's right or wrong, and then you check it uh, whether that's true. If it's not, you put an X to it. Kind of like a test. We're taking a test right now. All right, so everybody got something, and here's the answer. All right, some of you guys got that right. Very good. We're at 100% right now. Others of you, you've already failed. But anyway, next question. More monopoly money is printed yearly than real money. The U.S. government will stop minting pennies in 2020. Or lastly, people tip more on cloudy days than they do on sunny days. You do the letter that you think is true. Yes. Which one is true? Yes. True, true. Strange, but true. That's the name of the game. All right, and here's the answer. All right, next one. Got 12 more. On average, a sneeze travels 150 miles per hour. Like fingerprints, everyone's tongue print is different. Left-handed typically live longer than right-handers. Any, any left-handed people in here? All right. All right, which one is true out of those three? And here's the answer. Okay, the guys are doing good over here because I hear yay, yay every time. That's good. So apparently the guys are winning or they're just saying yay just to, you know. Almonds are one of the ingredients of dynamite. Americans consume 21 acres of pizza every day. Fortune cookies were actually invented in America. Which one is true? And here's the answer. Are you checking them off to make sure? Because we need to know who wins at the end. Okay, he's like, I already, I already failed on one. Okay, good. Next. <laughs> Bank of America used to be called Bank of Germany. And no, I did not create this test, just you know, in case you're wondering. The CEO of an In-N-Out In is a vegetarian. And Coca-Cola was originally a green color. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. They don't have it here. And the answer is... Uh, 
Okay, that, that you guys should know, because we do live in Atlanta, so this is one of those, like, you know, that's like part of our heritage right here, because it was invented here, in case you didn't know that. Anyway, so, next, the electric chair was invented by a dentist, Ronald Reagan was allergic to jelly beans, and Albert Einstein won a public speaking contest at the age of six. You are going to walk away with so much random knowledge today. It's going to be awesome. Here's the answer to that. What is true? I don't know what he was doing, but that's kind of scary. All right. Next. 60% of Americans believe in ghosts. Each year, about 600 Australians claim to see UFOs. Lightning strikes about 6,000 times per minute on Earth. And here are the answers, or the answer. That's a lot of lightning per minute. I don't know how that can be true, but anyway. I, I don't know. A crocodile can stick its tongue out of its mouth. All polar bears are right-handed. The only animal that can walk underwater is the gopher. And here's the answer. Again, this will reveal to us how to overcome failure in just a moment, so stick with me. Here's the answer to that. Who's doing really good so far? Oh, we got a few. All right, go you guys. Awesome. Next. Four billion pounds of facial hair is shaved each day worldwide. The king of clubs is the only card uh, king without a mustache. The Mona Lisa has no eyebrows. And here's the answer. Pull out your phone, look at the picture. Weird, right? All right, next. Rubbing garlic on your feet can make your breath smell. The strongest bones in the body are those in our ears. Babies can blush even before they can feel embarrassment. And here's the answer. I know, that's what I did. I just guessed all the way through. What sounded smart and good, that's what I picked. Okay, I need someone to go home and try this, because I really want to know whether this is true. So, no, I don't want to do it. That's, like, weird. So, <laughs> just, yeah. All right. One in every hundred cars that are made each year gets stolen. Twenty banks are robbed every day. A rare $4 bill exists in some states on the East Coast. And here's the answer. It's a lot of bank robberies a day. I mean, I guess that's attempted. That doesn't mean that they're actually succeeding. But next, it's illegal to chew gum in Hong Kong, China. In Alaska, it's illegal to look at a moose from an airplane. In Indiana, one must have a license to own a bear. And here's the strange and bizarre answer. Apparently, you don't need a license for a bear. Next. Rice paper does not have any rice in it. 
refried beans are fried a total of three times. Donuts were invented by an 11-year-old boy. And here's the answer. I think it's the last one, right? One more? One more. Okay, good. Harry Potter was originally called Harold Porter. The world record for longest case of hiccups is 69 years, and watching TV is good for your eyesight. And here's the answer. That is a terrible life. Can you imagine 69 years with hiccups? That's just not cool. Now, how many of you guys got them all right? You did? Go you. Okay, Abby, that's like amazing. Anybody else? You did too? I got four. Close. Okay, Abby, you got eight right. Okay, Abby, that's awesome. So everybody else besides Abby, you failed because you did not get 100%, right? So what, what if we were to take this test again right now, would you guys feel confident that you could get 100? No, the answer is supposed to be, yes, we could totally do this. That's supposed to be the answer. So here is, here is the point of this. Even though all of us failed, and I failed too because I didn't get them all, um, if we were to learn from our mistakes and our failure, we could succeed the next time around. So how do we overcome failure? You learn from your mistakes. You learn from your failure, and then the next time you succeed. Failures are only failures if you don't do anything with them. If you evaluate your failures and look at, okay, what happened? What was my fault? What was the situation? How do I do this better next time? Then your failures can actually become a good thing and you can actually succeed out of them. I believe the disciples did this. I believe they looked at this and said, okay, apparently we have to pray more because we can't have demons not coming out when we want them to come out in the name of Jesus. So they prayed more, and I believe later on, as you can see in their lives, they were able to cast out demons again. And this is totally true in all areas of our life. I, um, I got my driver's license when I was 24, which I know is crazy and is super old, but again, I was born and raised in Germany, and driver's licenses are very expensive there. They're about $2,000, and so I didn't get it. Um, you have to have a lot of hours, all these different things, and there's public transportation, so you can go anywhere you want without having a driver's license. Now, I came to the States, went to Bible college, and then afterwards, a after I got my job, I finally was able to actually get it here because you actually have to be like a resident, you know, in the States to be able to get your driver's license here. So I did, and I walked into the driver's license office, and, and I went into the parking lot with my car, and I drove around, and, um, well, what happened was is that, see, there was a lady in the car, and she was my instructor, and she told me to go backwards, which is what I did, Then she said to stop the car, and then she said, speed forward as fast as you can. Well, what she forgot to mention was that, you know, I needed to make sure that I was back and forward and not stuck in backwards. So I pushed the accelerator button and I went backwards, which instantly made me fail my test. I was a failure, so I failed my driver's license the first time. But I learned from my mistake. Next time, I did not fail on that part. See, but I... Um, I failed again, though. So I went out of the parking lot, because the first time I didn't even make it out of the parking lot. The second time I went out of the parking lot, and I looked left and right and left and right, and you know, making sure that the cars were coming. There was a car coming, but you know, I knew my car, and I knew it was fast enough, and it really wasn't that close. So I sped out of the parking lot. Well, my instructor looked at me and said, so um, why did you do that? And I'm like, 
I, I thought my car could handle it. Like, you know, I thought it was a great answer, but my instructor thought that was a bad idea, and she failed me yet again. So now I'm here two times, tried it and failed twice, but you know what I did? I learned from my mistake. And the third time I finally got it. Now, I did not make the story up. This literally happened. It's terrible. But here's the point. I could have just said up the first time, forget this, I'm a failure. I'll never get my driver's license. Or I can look at my own stupidity and look at, okay, that was really dumb. I can learn from my mistake, and I can then become a success. Does that make sense to you guys? And I believe the disciples did the same thing. So what's the lesson to be learned here? The lesson to be learned for the disciples is that we should pray without ceasing. That if we have a problem keeping our prayer time, then maybe it's time for us to rearrange some stuff in our schedule. If you have a hard time keeping the appointment that you've set, maybe it's time to move from morning to night prayer, from night to morning prayer. Whatever it takes, move it around, learn from your mistakes, and make it a lesson to be learned. Verse 45, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Now, you've got to love the Bible. This is awesome. You just have those 12 guys. Again, every one of them probably tried to cast out the demon, and no one got it, and then Jesus basically said, you guys all failed. And the next conversation is literally, hey, who do you think the greatest is among us? You're all losers. I mean, seriously, like all of you guys failed. Like no one is the greatest, but apparently that's not the way that they were seeing it. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. By the way, the disciples were not losers. I just said that obviously to kind of joke. But then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. And if you know Jesus' is teaching, really what he was saying is here, you need to be a servant. Because in one of the Gospels, we read this, that Jesus taught them on how to be a servant by washing their feet. And that's actually what happened right after they had this discussion. And Jesus had this illustration of, let me wash your feet and show you that the greatest among you should be the servant of all. So what was their failure here? I believe they had a lack of humility. There was no humility in the disciples, or at least not in the area of who was going to be the greatest. It was not high on their list. Now, the funny thing about humility and being humble, see, if you don't make sure that you stay humble and even ask God to stay humble, and I do this all the time, someone else will make sure that you stay humble. And it's going to be so embarrassing when you are the one that is full of pride and everybody else sees you exposed. And uh, I found a funny video that kind of illustrates this point because they, I don't know whether they were prideful, but they were definitely humiliated by what happens. Next, let's go check it out. This is the best.
That was awesome, right? So what's the lesson to be learned for the disciples here? The lesson to be learned is that we should walk in humility. See, every time that, that you have something where you feel like you failed, if you look at it and evaluate it, you can learn a lesson and it can make you more successful and really a better you. Failures can be turned into awesome lessons and can grow us up really quick if we allow them to. We have to really ask ourselves, what did go wrong in this and how can we make this better the next time so we don't do the same mistake twice? William Mayer said this, Lord, deliver me from the man who never makes a mistake because we all make them and you really don't want to be next to someone that's perfect. And also from the man who makes the same mistake twice. See, I don't want to be around people that make the same mistake twice, you know, three times, four times, because that just means they're not very smart, right? Because you should learn from your mistakes and make it into a lesson. Um, I don't know whether you noticed, but I, I have failures and mistakes in my life all the time. And this uh, morning when I was putting on my shoes, I kind of had a mistake. I was doing this in the dark, and, and I didn't realize that um, I put on two different shoes. So, um, sad, right? You guys didn't notice. Well, John didn't notice out there. He was like, what happened to your shoes? And I'm like, well, you know, it was dark, and I put them on, and, and you know, it just didn't work. I mean, they look pretty close in, in the dark, but they're not the same. And... Uh, Here's the thing, you know, I could look at this and be like, man, I'm such a failure, right? Or I could look at this and say, you know what, next time I'll make sure I turn the light on to make sure I'm not putting on two different shoes, right? Now, the truth is, I did this on purpose, and it wasn't in the morning. I did it right before the message, so just, you know, obviously, this is part of my illustration here. The point is that when we look at our failures and we learn something from it, then they really are not failures that can actually lead us to success. By the way, if you show up next week with two separate shoes, you might get something, so just, you know... Um, wear two different shoes, and we'll see what happens next week. So here's the thing. Learn the lesson that you're supposed to be learning. A mistake simply shows you something you did not know or that you did forget. How many of you guys have failed this past week in any area of your life? Yeah, I failed probably more times than I want to count. Now, the question would be, out of all the times that you failed, how many of you actually sat down and evaluated your failure and learned from your mistake versus just saying, well, I failed, and you kept on going, and you probably failed two or three more times in the exact same area? See, that's not wise. Wisdom would be you look at your failure, you say, okay, what did I do wrong? How can I do this better next time? And then you change it, and you evaluate your experience. This kind of goes along with a poem that I found, and I want to close out with this because this poem perfectly illustrates on what it means to kind of make sure that you evaluate your experience. And it's the poem written in five chapters. I'm going to read you each of them. Chapter number one. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter number two. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I've fallen again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes me a long time to get out. Chapter number three. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter number four. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I finally walk around it. Chapter number five. I'll walk down another street. Here's what we got to do. We got to look at our mistakes and learn from them, and don't blame others around us, but actually take responsibility and say, okay, what did I do wrong? Where can I learn? Where can I grow? And if we do that, we will not feel like failures, but we will feel like, you know what? I learned a very valuable lesson. The disciples learned that, hey, let's not stop praying, and they learned to walk 
and humility. And both of those are really important. So the question is, what are some things that you're going through right now that you're failing, that you're constantly failing, and then God is asking, okay, are you seeing it? I'm trying to teach you a lesson. You're supposed to learn something, and are you learning? So Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you, in our small groups, will be there with us, that you would show us even some of the things where we are failing and constantly right now, and that we will not feel like a failure, but that we look at it, evaluate it, and that it will become a lesson learned, and that we'll become uh, stronger in you and succeed. And I pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.